If you have a Bible, um, I want to ask you to open up to Mark chapter 8. Some extras over here if you guys We've been working through the Gospel of Mark for quite some time now, and we're going to continue. Um, and even from the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, we've seen some things, and we're going to do a quick review, but we've seen, uh, we've seen Jesus living out his mission. Uh, ultimately to make known the reality of who his father is, um, and equally so to, to bring about this reality of his divine nature, that he is absolutely the son of God. Okay? Um, and so there, from the very beginning of this gospel, we've seen that. Like, it is incredibly evident, but I want to show you, instead of you just believing me, let's look at it so you can believe the word. Okay? In, in chapter 1, uh, we see that Jesus heals many, many people who are sick. Uh, he cleanses a man of leprosy, this, this, this heinous skin disease. Um, chapter 2, uh, there's this guy who's paralyzed, and his friends bring him to this house that Jesus is teaching at, and they, they literally open the roof and they drop him down. Okay, And, and in that instance, uh, Jesus heals this guy who's paralyzed. In chapter 3, uh, this man has this withered hand, and it's very this very controversial issue because it's the Sabbath, and Jesus, in his love and compassion for this individual, heals this man of this uh, incident with his withered hand. And what's crazy, let me draw one quick attention to this, in chapter 3, um, it, it literally said that there were so many people who were running hard after Jesus when they found out that he had done so much to heal that they were pressing in on him, even to the point that there were numerous instances where he couldn't even eat. He was just surrounded by so many. And then there's this verse in chapter 3, verse 11. Let me just read it to you real quick. This is pretty crazy. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. This is also the same chapter where he appoints the twelve disciples to follow him in ministry. Uh, In chapter 4, he calms a storm just by simply speaking. Chapter 5, demon-possessed man. This demon-possessed man was so overcome by the power of the devil, they tried to bind him with chains, and they couldn't. He would just break free of these chains. Jesus comes along, casts out this demon into the pigs, they run into the river and die. In that same chapter, uh, he heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Ladies, you should be grateful okay, uh, for your situation, whatever it may be. Uh, he raises a girl from the dead. Okay, uh, Chapter 6, more people are sick. He continues to heal them. Also, what, what else happens? He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves, two fish. And there's 12 baskets left over. Okay, And then he also walks on water in that chapter just to kind of throw in something special. He's like, I'll walk on water, you know. Uh, chapter 7, uh, there's a demon that's overtaking this little girl, casts it out. There's this deaf man who's not only deaf, but a lot of times with that uh, also comes a, a, a irregularity in your speech. He heals him. Okay, And then what we just looked at recently, there's 4,000 people who are starving and seven loaves of bread and a few fish, and Jesus feeds them. And there's a ton of food left over. All the while, all this is going on, there's an unbelievable amount of opposition. This wasn't that Jesus was just like, you know, just cruising along and doing all this cool stuff and, and no one's really giving him a hard time about it. Unbelievable oppression that was happening 
at the hands of the Pharisees, the religious leaders in that time. And that's where we pick up verse 11. Read with me. Mark 8, verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Okay, um, this, is, this is kind of an interesting interaction here. Think about this with me for a second, okay? Um, in this passage, here's what's happening. It's as if Jesus, everything we just went through, everything that's still up there on the screen, it's as if his life and ministry did not substantiate his, the reality of who he was. Okay, so it's like it's like saying that that Jesus, that they really couldn't tell who he was. Will you kind of give us some indication that you're from God? Really? Like, do we need to go back again and, 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 and look at these things as to the reality of, of what's actually taking place? As if there wasn't proof, they wanted proof. Here's what this would be like. It'd be like, let's say we went down the street to the car dealership. And we, we walk into the car dealership, and I'm like, excuse me, sir, um, you guys by any chance sell cars here? You guys like, yeah, lots, lots of cars, in fact. And, and you kind of do this interaction where you're like, prove it. Prove it you got cars. And there's got to be this moment of like, like, seriously? You, like, look around. Like, they're just, just baffled by the, the reality of, it's pretty obvious. And then almost like arguing like, I don't know if that's a car. You got an engine? Like, and they, I mean, it's just, it's just silly to the point where it, it, Jesus had made it incredibly obvious. And the op- opposition was, was, was a ton, okay? But they asked for a sign, and let me tell you what a sign is. Here, here's basically what they're asking for. They're asking for some public definitive proof that God was with him, okay? That God was actually the one who was contributing to his power, okay? In, uh, in chapter 3, what's interesting is they actually, they said that his power was of demonic origin, that it really was the devil who was working in him to perform these miraculous signs, okay? It'd be similar to what happens in chapter 11, verse 30, um, when they say, by what authority... Do you do these things? Okay, so there's all this opposition, and it's, it's, it's quite interesting. And Jesus, it doesn't quite, quite clearly come through, but he's not happy. He's, he's, commentators say he's angry at what's taking place. Uh, I want to I kind of explain this to you. Look at this quote by this one commentator. It says, Theologically, the demand for an unmistakable proof that God is at work in Jesus' ministry is an expression of unbelief. Okay, so obviously, they're not believing. So I go to the car dealership, and I communicate, do you sell cars? And he's like, well, yeah. Well, obviously, there's a fundamental problem with my belief. I don't believe you sell cars, even though I see them, even though it's pretty obvious there's a fundamental uh, problem where, at, the, at the area of belief. It represents the attempt to understand the person of Jesus within categories which were wholly inadequate to contain his reality. So here's what this guy's saying. He's saying, you're trying to define Jesus simply by what he does, as if that alone can communicate 
the essence of who he is in fullness. Okay, yeah, it's going to give some symbols, and, and, and it should, and it does, but it, in no way can even the, the miracles that he does show us the reality of the fullness of who he is. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, keep going. The, the, the call for a sign is a denial of the, uh, the summons to the radical faith, which is integral to the gospel. Jesus rejects the way of signs as, a fundamentally, as fundamentally wrong because it precludes personal decision in response to the word of revelation. So there, there is definitely this aspect to our faith that is faith. And, and no, we're not called to just blind belief. Like, just believe. I mean, there's, there's tangible evidence to the reality of God. But there's aspects that are just like Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, that says, Who can know the mind of the Lord? For his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is so much greater is he than us. There's aspects that we just have to we have to believe and take by faith. And that that's where these guys had the breakdown. They were continuing to refuse the revelation that Jesus was continually making evident. Now let's look at the next part. This next part is hilarious. Okay? Um, like comic book. Hilarious. Like, it's right out of a comic book. Okay, check, check, out, uh, check out verse 14. This just, this just blows me away. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And they cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Let me stop real quick. Leaven would be an indication of corruption or evil. Okay, and what he's saying about Herod and what he's saying about the Pharisees is, is two things. He's saying that they're ultimately very self-centered and, and think they can do things on their own apart from God, okay? Um, and so that's, that's the issue that he's bringing out when he's saying, beware of the leaven. Be, like, it's like yeast. You put yeast in bread, it doesn't just like, do, like handle the corner over here. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to corrupt it, okay, in a good way, right? Okay, um, verse 17. No, 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus has just got to be, like, laughing over here on the side. Um, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to them, at this point, I think they, they figured out what was going on. They're like, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did they take up? And they said to him, they're like, like almost gone, running away maybe. I guess they're on water, so they can't really do that. But um, they're like, seven? And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Okay, here's what's happening. Jesus in this moment, I would say he could probably count on the fact that he's going to be misunderstood by the Pharisees. The fact that they wanted a sign, even though he was angry, probably to an extent he realized they're going to misunderstand me. But his own boys, the guys who had been running with him, walking with him, living life with him, didn't get it. Didn't get it, which is incredibly encouraging for us to know the process that God walked them through and how he used them in insurmountable ways to expand the message of the gospel 
for guys who didn't didn't get it at all. Okay, so that's what's happening. They had been witnesses of, of all the things that we looked at. Okay, obviously they didn't come on the scene that we know of until chapter 3, but they'd been witnesses of all those things. They'd seen it all. But yet here in this moment, when it practically came down to, dang it, we're out of bread, what did they do? Dang it, we're out of bread. Uh, what are we going to do? They started panicking when just probably the day before he'd fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. They, they, it's, just, it's just crazy. All right? And let me, let me give you an example. Um, I could probably, let me use an, a basketball example. Uh, Kyle and I coach, and uh, there would definitely be an aspect to where there are certain things that we would expect and not expect from 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 our guys or guys who didn't play for us. Okay, for example, uh, we would expect certain things from our guys because they they would know us, they would know our routine, they would know what we expect regarding fundamentals. Okay, um, and maybe it's an aspect of just working hard. Okay. And so we might see other teams, and we're like, oh, they're not working hard. I don't necessarily expect them to. But we would absolutely expect that our guys would function and act a certain way. You know, I just you wonder if, if, if Jesus maybe expected that to an extent. But here's where the problem came from, okay? And this is where a lot of our problem came from. It wasn't that there was a lack of exposure, okay? Like, here's what we do. Let's even take it from a basketball perspective. Like, Someone's not there defensively. So we're like, we need to run them through another drill, run them through another drill, run them through, ingrain it in their mind, ingrain it in their mind. Well, the issue wasn't, they need to be around Jesus more. They need to read more. They need to, you know, go to church more and read their Bible more. And and they had been exposed to Jesus a lot. It wasn't an issue of exposure. What it became an issue of was the fact that they had become insensitive and dull to a plethora of exposures. To like, they'd seen it so much that they're like, "Here he goes again. See what this one will be like." Oh, it's a withered hand. That's a little different, you know. <laughs> like, like that. That's kind of where they're at. It, it, it happens so much that they're just like, "Yeah, whatever." You know, what, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Jesus is 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 doing doing his thing, and. They got to the point where they never responded to it. They never walked away and said, man, here's what he meant by that. Here's what he was trying to teach us by that. Because they were disciples. They're supposed to be following him. Sitting under him. Learning from him. And they didn't get it. Here's another example of what it would be like. Let's say, uh, back to basketball. Let's say that, um, like for example, we teach help defense. Uh, I won't thoroughly explain it, but... Um, let's say that Kyle and I were playing together, okay, and uh, his guy started to beat him. Okay, we would teach that that if I'm on, I'm, I'm on his team, he would yell for help, and I'd come and I'd help, okay? Um, but but what we wouldn't want would be I come and show up and say, hey, I got your help. You, you got him, Kyle. You can do it. You know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to encourage you. You can do it as I watch him get beat. And that, was, that wouldn't be the point. The point of me helping would be to actually be there to help him stop this guy. Okay, and, and, and what was going on here with, with the disciples was that it wasn't producing what Jesus intended for it to produce. It wasn't. Okay, we could trace back to every one of the miracles that Jesus ever did. And there was a point. But the point wasn't just problem, we need a solution. 
Oh, here's a bunch of people that are hungry. Solution? Food. Here's somebody who's blind. Solution? Open your eyes and see. You know, here's someone who has a withered hand. Solution? Heal him. Here's somebody that's dead. Solution? Bring them back to life. So it wasn't this, like, problem-solution thing as much as here's what it was. In everything that Jesus does, it always points outside of itself to the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's not, it's not just the issue of somebody's hungry. Problem, we need to feed them. Okay, yeah, we need to feed them. But that's, that's secondary to what Jesus was trying to communicate in and, in and through what's happening here. Because in John chapter 6, just after he fed the 5,000, here's what he said. He told the disciples, I am the bread of life. Anyone who's hungry, come to me. I don't think we're like playing thumb war during that conversation or what. But I think if they would have grasped the reality of what he was teaching there, when it came down to, hey, we're out of bread, maybe they would have thought about the bread of life that was sitting right next to them. Interesting. Incredibly interesting. Here, here's, here's where we come into play. We're, we're very problem-centric. We jump from problem to problem to problem. And, in the, and when there's no problems, we anticipate problems because we're just like, there's got to be a problem coming. Rather than, rather than, here's one of the biggest pieces of advice I've ever received. I had a guy get in my face and say, you need to quit trying to stop sinning and run hard after Jesus. We're so like pessimistic. I've got to quit this. I've got to quit this. And it's like, man, run hard after Christ. But the failure was that they didn't respond. Like, we have response time here at North Church for a purpose, that we wouldn't be people that would just come and sit in these seats and hear a message and leave, like the disciples, that they would see miracles happen and be like, yeah, that's cool, you know, see ya. But what, what does that mean for my life? How does that affect who I am and how I walk out what God has called me to do? A.W. Tozer is brilliant in this regard. He wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in the first chapter of the book, he... Uh, he wrote it, and, and it said, the importance of thinking rightly about God. Incredible chapter. Um, listen, to, listen to one of the things that he says in this chapter. When it, comes to, when it comes into our minds, what comes into our minds when we think about, what, about God is the most... Let me start over. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most... A pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he, in the depths of his heart, conceives God to be like. This is the issue of who is he? Fundamentally, who is God and what does that mean for my life? Because they'd experienced the feeding of the 4,000. They experienced the feeding of the 5,000. And you know what? It wasn't just about bread. It wasn't just about, hey, watch me multiply bread as much as it was about, look at what it says about who I am. Think about your situation. What's going on in your life? The goal of life isn't just to get answers. That might be part of it. But, but what does it say about who God is? And what is it revealing? Let's continue. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida... 
And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hand on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not enter, even enter the village. Okay, conclusion number one would say, Miracle gone bad. Blind guy shows up on the scene. We're going to heal him. So let's do one of these. We'll, we'll spit in his eye. Which if a guy's blind and you spit in his eye, I hope you warn him. That might not be a good sight. Okay? Spits in his eye. is like, okay, try that. What do you see? Uh, men who look like trees walking. Okay, which probably indicates that he had sight at one point, so he knew what trees were. He knew what men were. And Jesus is like, oh, shoot, uh, wrong potion, uh, didn't say the right words, try again, how's this, got it. Whew. Okay, no, that's not what's happening, okay? It wasn't, this didn't uh, attack the reality of, of, is Jesus authentic, is he really who he says he is? No, he almost screwed up a miracle. Okay, no, he's trying to communicate something, because not far in the distance are his disciples. His disciples who are watching him, who are learning from him, To the point that, here's what he's saying. He's saying, your vision and understanding of who I am is skewed. Because there's some nine times in these five verses that the reality of sight is brought out. About seeing. About seeing properly. And that was what was going on. They were seeing him vaguely. They weren't seeing him as Jesus wanted them to see him. And so in this miracle... He was teaching, even, even through that. And this is what we see in all three of these interactions, with the Pharisees, with the disciples, and then with this blind man who the disciples are nearby. This reality of seeing Jesus properly. Okay, so here's, here's what I want to do. On some level, every single one of us does not see Jesus properly. No one in this room absolutely sees Jesus the way we should absolutely see him. Okay? We're walking, we're running towards him, we're coming to understand him more and more and more. Okay? So here's the question. How can we not be so much like the disciples that we see here that in the instance of problem, we run to, what are we going to do? But that we say, hey, there's Jesus. And here's where, I think it's, here's where I think it's rooted in. Remembering. That's what I want to talk about real quick. I want to talk about the importance of Christian remembering. Look at verse 17. It says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Okay, the Bible is packed with this 
word, this English word remember, uh, I'm going to give you 12 instances where this reality of remembering is commanded, okay? Just so you don't have to believe what I say, that we actually go to the word and see what it says. 12 real quick instances about remembering, okay? Uh, and they'll be on the screen for you to look at. Genesis 9 uh, is the instance, uh, the story of Noah and the ark, okay? And God, in order to communicate his covenant to never flood the earth again, he provides this rainbow as a way to remember the covenant of God's promise. In Exodus 13, he says, remember the fact that you were set free from Egypt. In Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day. Psalm 105, remember his marvelous works. Ecclesiastes 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Acts 20, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, remember the sacrifice of Christ. His blood and his body in the Lord's Supper. Galatians 2, remember the poor. Galatians or Ephesians 2, remember that you were at one time Gentiles, you were separated from Christ, you were lost. The Bible says without hope. 2 Timothy 2, remember Jesus Christ risen from the, do- the dead. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, remember your leaders. Now, if you are anything like me, here's what you are thinking right now. How in the heck am I going to do all that? Remember, 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 like, I need something that's going to help me do that. Like, it's just this huge list, and you're just like, oh, I remember this here, and then I go over here and remember this, and, and then, oh, I forgot that, darn it. And you're like, how, how in the world, okay? Well, what's interesting is we have different ways that we try to remember things. Okay, some of you, uh, any of you into post-its? Any, uh, any, uh, any post-it people in the room? Let me, let me tell you a real quick story about, about post-its. Uh, post-its have scarred my life. Um, growing up, uh, my dad lived and died off of post-its, okay? They were everywhere, okay? He put them absolutely everywhere, okay? That's not a picture of my dad's office or anything, but anyway, um, the, to a point where there's one time uh, he was picking me up from practice when I was in high school, and I get in the car, and like there's just like 10 post-its on his dash, and I'm like, seriously, dad, that really helps, I think it would make it worse. He's gotten a lot better since he's gotten an iPhone. Um, but anyway, he still does, he like puts a post-it on his iPhone, which is really funny. Anyway, um, okay, so I get in the car, and I look at the dash, and it says, pick David up from practice, 7 p.m. And I'm like, seriously, Dad? For real? Like, you got to write a post-it to remember to pick up your own son? You know, I was just like, 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 for real? Like, that was kind of sad. Anyway, um, so my dad is a, po- is a po- crazy post-it guy. Uh, some of us, you know, we set different alarms. Uh, we do different things that might, uh, there's some more post-it images. Uh, that's, that's my dad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we set alarms. Uh, a lot of, as a teacher, here's what I see a lot. What, what's my assignment? Okay. Grabs a big Sharpie and they're like, just like writing on their arm because they can see it. I always tell them to write it on their forehead. They, they don't get, seem to get that. Um, but we do all these different things to, to spark memory. I had a friend who this is what he would do. He told me that he would, anytime he needed to remember something when he got in his car, he would take his rear view mirror and he'd just turn it sideways to where it was like. So he'd get in the car and be like, oh, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty creative, all right? Uh, this friend is also now working on his doctorate to 
to teach Greek. Anyway, um, so yeah, it tells you a little bit about him. But uh, or here, here's something my dad would do all the time. This drove I, I think my mom nuts more than me. But he would just put all kinds of stuff by the back door. Like, oh, I need to mail this. I'll just put it in front of the back door. I need to take this box and they put it in front of the back door. So the point where he'd have to like trip over it and be like, man, who put that there? And he'd be like, oh, I forgot to bring that. Oh, that's what I tripped over. Okay, like, like you ever do that? You, you know, you put your keys somewhere. Or, um, we try all kinds of different things. Here's one that we do. You tell your friend, uh, hey, will you remind me uh, that when I get home, I need to, to set the DVR to record American Idol? Oh, yeah. Hey, don't forget, when you get home, set the DVR to, you know, we'd, we'd be a jerk in that way. And we're like, no, later. Um, we have all kinds of different ways that we try to remember things. But here's what I want to show you. If we would go back to the text in Mark, and not only that, but we would go to all kinds of other places in Scripture, here's what we would see. Is that so many of, so many of our problems, so many of our anxieties, if we would remember the God of the past, it would be so much easier. Just think about the disciples. They're freaking out in a boat that they don't have any bread. I don't know that it was that big of a deal anyway. Maybe it was. I didn't study that part. But anyway, um, they're, they're freaking out over this part, and they forgot. They, they forgot the importance of of, of remembering. There's a, there's a story that I want to tell you about super quick in Joshua chapter 4. And this is right after uh, Joshua leads, after Moses died, Joshua's appointed leader, and he leads the, the Israelites into the promised land, and, and it's when the Lord parts the Red Sea. Okay? And, and God specifically tells Joshua, I want you to take up 12 stones. And I want you to, to take them with you. And I want them to be a memorial about what I've done. Okay? Let's read just a part of it in uh, Joshua 4, verse 7. I think it's going to be on the screen. Look at what it says. Uh, then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan... Joshua set up in Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So here's what he's saying. Don't forget what I did. But you don't have to be brilliant and have this crazy memory. Grab some stones and write on them. And not only that, but it would be a testimony to where when you're raising your children, they'll be like, hey, Dad, those stones up there, they look really old. Like, can you tell me about those? Like, what are they for? And, and, and then you begin to tell, man, here's what God did. Here's how God worked his, his miracles in, in bringing salvation to us. Like that, that, was a, that was a tool that they used to remember. Uh, an, another thing is that the literal name for, for the Lord, Yahweh, is actually a name that is directly connected to this idea of, of remembering. 
to having like memorial. Um, let, me, let me give you a couple of verses to, to kind of illustrate that. In Exodus chapter, chapter 3, verse 15, God said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The name Yahweh literally means to be. Okay? I'll let you think about that. Psalm 135, verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all generations. Hosea 12 says, The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is His memorial name. So in, in the name Yahweh, these people were called and we're called to remember God's covenant faithfulness. That He is everything we need Him to be. And even what we don't need Him to be, He is, he is everything. So, uh, how? Who cares? So what? How in the heck do we walk out those doors and remember? Because some of you are sitting here and you're like, Man, I don't even remember what I'm wearing. Well, you kind of look down. Um, you're like, I don't even remember what I had for dinner, if I had dinner. Like, I can't, I, I have a horrible mind. I can't remember anything. So how in the world do I, some of you, the, the description of the, of the disciples in the boat, you're like, that's me. That's me. And I, and I don't say that to degrade you, but like, you're like, that's, I find myself in that boat so many times that in the midst of, of like what's going to happen here, I, I, I end with, dang it, what are we going to do? As opposed to like, hey, the bread of life sitting right there. We need bread. He can brought help. So, so, so what do we do? I, wanna, I just want to be really practical. And here, here's how I want to be really practical. Did you know that your, your ability to remember the faithfulness of God is not dependent on the fact that we're lame, dumb sheep as much as it's dependent upon this, that you and I have the mind of Christ. According to 1 Corinthians, you and I have the mind of Christ to the point when the living God is dwelling within me, within you, enabling me to recall and remember who He is. Okay, and this is actually, I'm, I'm just stealing this from Scripture, which is kind of what I'm doing with all this, but in, in John chapter 14, look at what it says. But the Helper, Helpers are incredible, especially in the Christian life, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Like, he wants to do it. Like, God's Spirit wants to indwell us so much that He would be the one to say, Hey, quit doubting. Why are you doubting? Remember, remember, remember. Okay? But here's what this isn't. This isn't like this, I'll just chill back and let the Holy Spirit help me remember. No, uh, there's actually a, an incredible text in Colossians that you should write down and look at later. Uh, Colossians 1.29, check this out. This is unbelievable. It says, For this I toil... Struggling with all his energy. It's not up on the screen, so don't look for it. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So the reality is this. We should struggle. I don't mean like, just always make mistakes, but like, there should be progressive struggle and fight in pursuit of who God is. For this I toil, working with all his energy, 
It's the Holy Spirit working it in my life as I surrender, as I come to understand and know who is God. So here's what we have to do. We have to absolutely drown our minds with who He is. What did Tozer say? The most important question about you is, who do you believe God to be? Because it will affect how you spend your money. It will affect your view of sex. It will affect your view of money. It will affect your view of your job, the cars you buy. It will affect your view of everything. Who you believe God to be will absolutely affect that. Everything that you do. And so the tendency is this, the tendency to say, like, oh, I just need, I need you know, six steps to, to help me with this, and, you know, 12 help, help, self-help steps to this, and, like, we run to all these different things, and God's just like, dang it, would you just know me? Like John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that you know Him. Not that you come to learn the 16 ways to walk with Jesus, but that you stink and know Him. Like who can help you walk with Jesus better than Jesus? Some book by some random guy can't, as well as probably Jesus himself. And here's where we break down is we think, I've got to figure this out. And God's like, would you, just, would you just run to me? Would you just know me? And so the question that I ask you tonight is, who, who's God to you? And how are you responding to that? Because the disciples, they were continually, they had overexposure. And so I just told you to overexpose. So how do we be different? We listen and we walk out what he's saying. God, make me teachable. I want to remember who you are. But I don't want to just remember to be there for help defense so I cannot produce what it needs to produce. Because if remembering is just going to produce failure in the end, then what's the point? But what we want is we want remembering to produce faith. In Deuteronomy, it actually says that the antidote to fear is remembering. Remembering the faithfulness of God. How, do you, how are you doing with that? Do you remember Him? Maybe you need to get a whole bunch of post-its And you need to start writing on them, trust God today. Believe God today. The God who led me in will lead me out. And you just need to get in the Word. And you just should give tangible ways to to, to remember. Because you know what? At the end of the day, when my dad came to pick me up, what did I care about? Yeah, I gave him a hard time that he had to post it to remind him to pick up his son. Okay, but at the end of the day, what I oh, he picked me up. I was grateful for that. That's all I wanted was my dad to pick me up, regardless of the fact that he had to write a note to remind him. That's fine. God isn't up there saying, "Oh, you, you know, you're not as spiritual as him." You know, over here, they're spouting off memory verses. You better be working here. I don't care if you got to write it on your arms and put notes all over your car and. There's a reason why David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we're not just talking about that I wouldn't lust and that I wouldn't lie. But we're talking about that I would believe in the moments of doubt, in the moments of unbelief. When death is imminent, when marriages are falling apart, when tragedy strikes, that it would produce 
reality of we need bread. Man, I'm so glad I know the bread of life. We're going to do something different tonight in this aspect of, of remembering. Uh, we, we, we take the Lord's Supper every, every Sunday because we always want to remember the cross. But one of the things about that is it's kind of individual. You know, you kind of go up to the table when you're ready. So I'm just going to warn you, kind of, we're going to do a little different. We want to celebrate tonight the reality of who he is. And Rick's going to come up and set that up, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about that. But we're going to remember corporately tonight. We're going to celebrate together. This is a, a, a biblical thing that, that, that we're going to do as a way to remember the reality of who God is in Christ and sending his son that we might be accepted, not based on how well we can remember or how well we can perform, but based on Christ alone as the only way to salvation. And so, Jeff, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and come up? And we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to sing a song, and then Rick's going to come up, and he's going to kind of explain how we're going to do, uh, how we're going to remember in the Lord's Supper. I just, I just want to put before you that the answer is Jesus. In the moments of what's going on, why, in the moments of life is good, that we would remember the faithfulness of God. As we read, throughout all generations, His memorial name forever. And that that would be our hope and that would be the reason that we live. Let me pray. Jesus, by your powerful name, we ask that you would produce belief in our hearts. God, it's quite scary to know that 12 guys walked by your side so intimately is living within us that we have the mind of Christ that you, according to Colossians 1.29, are powerfully working yourself and faith in our hearts. And so, God, we rest in that. And God, I pray that we might remember who you are. And that that might bring hope and healing and joy and satisfaction in remembering the person of God in Jesus Christ. So God, would you allow us to remember you in these moments as we wrestle, as we think, as we worship God. For you are so faithful. And we say thank you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.